Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And are you guys ready? Uh, Going to release this on Sunday, so that means, you know, Turkey Day is right around the corner. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, if you're traveling, be safe. If you are staying at home, eat lots of turkey and dressing or whatever staples that you're going to have there. I know that we are traveling out of state ourselves and uh, should be fun to see everybody and just kind of reconnect. But uh, whatever you're doing, if you're in this deal, in this recovery thing, doing this journey with us, don't hesitate to reach out. So many of us get real squirrely this time of year uh, for various different reasons. But, you know, anything involving your family seems to be something that we trip up over quite a bit. And so uh, if you are traveling, I hope you're listening to this because this is a great story of recovery. Uh, I had Derek on, a.k.a. Subby from Twitter. This guy shares a very clear and concise message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, He has a very potent, powerful story, and uh, I just hope that you enjoy it. So without any further ado, here is Derek. All right. Thanks a lot for showing up, Derek. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing real well. How about yourself? Man, everything is good here. I'm I'm down like 22 pounds. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. On this on this keto, which I mean, you know, here's the thing, man. You started out, you know what I'm saying, and, and you drop a shitload and then it's like it stops and then you get yeah. discouraged. So Sure, sure. That's the point that I'm trying to move past. But um sure, sure. and like that that I mean, I I love health and fitness. I I'm trying to gain weight right now and put on some size. So I'm like doing the opposite of you. I'm trying to eat as much as possible, which is is hard to do. But um you know, yeah, that uh, it it takes a long time to gain the weight, and sometimes it takes a long time to lose the weight. But like us, like instant gratification. I want it fucking now, goddamn it! You yeah, know? right? So. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, we 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 tend to get like that, don't we? Yeah, a little bit sometimes. You know, sometimes. Yeah, and you got to kind of work. Like, do you think it's it's the culture? I mean, obviously, as addicts, you know, that's kind of like you know one of those things. Um, hedonism you know instant gratification but it feels like the culture is moving more towards that absolutely and this is something my wife and i talk about i talk about with my friends i mean obviously as an alcoholic like i can look back on my my childhood and be like oh yeah like you wanted it and you wanted it then but then i even think like society as a whole you know with social media and this just this constant um stream of sensory information and how can i make my feel self feel good right now and so it's i think as a culture we definitely have shifted to where it's not just isolated to like alcoholics drug addicts or spiritually sick people it's i mean you know normal people are like i want it now that instant gratification so um who knows i i'm guessing it has to do with society and like everything going on but i mean i don't have the answers to everything but i can definitely hypothesize that we ain't doing ourselves any favors with <laughs> everything we got going on so without you a know. doubt man yeah without a doubt amazon prime streaming yeah. television i mean it's all you know i, I mean we got computers in our back pockets you know, yeah, I can, I can get any bit of information. I can shop, you know, on my phone. I can do almost everything I need to do on my phone. And so it's, uh, you know, definitely, I, re- I remember, you know, I don't know, I think you were probably pretty much the same age or you may be a little older, but I remember, you know, getting on the internet as a 12, 13 year old and you had dial up, you had to wait for the modem yeah, man. And, 
you know, you're 12 years old trying to download what that one porn pick and you're like, come on, come on before mom gets home, you know, and it's like, it, it ain't like that no more. Nah, man, that was the, uh, that was the comp you serve prodigy days. That was back. Then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, bro. Exactly. I, I remember I, I'm still a putz when it comes to technology. I remember when we got our first CD ROM in the home PC and I somehow managed to delete the drive. And like none of no. us knew how to fix it. <laughs> it was, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It was like a, a week after we got it. Yeah. I was yeah. in trouble it, on that one. I, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Technology. I leave that to my wife. And I mean, all the young kids in my office, they helped me out. My email was down for four hours today and I just about had an aneurysm. So, you know, I let every, <laughs> I, I let everybody else handle that. And I try not to like, you know, do anything to owe any amends in the process. You know? Oh yeah, so. for sure, man. For sure. That's the trick. Cause like, it's like your whole world just dissolves in front of your eyes and it's like, oh, yeah. you gotta be cool, dude. Gotta yeah, be cool. exactly. Exactly. And you know, like I, I'm so selfish that it's like, I've got to get my shit done. Cause my shit's most important. <laughs> and if I don't get this done in time, then I can't go to the gym. I can't get home in time to watch football tonight. I can't do this. And it's like, usually like, you know, things that are happening in my life, I, the, my first instinct is to think about how it impacts me, <laughs> nobody else. So, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Well, man, uh, Derek, you know, I've been following you for, for a while on Twitter. You know, we've had a lot of great interactions. You're among the uh, top tier class of Sobertarians. And, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to, wanted to kind of hear your story, man. How did you, uh, how did you get into this crazy thing we call recovery? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I come from a family, like if you look at our family tree, there's a, you know, you look up at it and it's alcoholic dopamine, alcoholic dopamine, alcoholic dopamine littered all across the board. Right. Um, you know, but even so, like I, I grew up in a sober, sober household. My dad uh, currently has 30 plus years of sobriety. My okay. mom had, had 20 years. She's no longer sober and she's out doing her thing. But, you know, I grew up in a, you know, fairly loving home. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I, I, I look back and I remember like I was I was always kind of that kid that had like fear and anxiety and, you know, just kind of always in a constant state of worry. Right. And yeah. nothing was ever really good enough. And so I, I like to use the the analogy of, uh, you know, I'm like the kid on Christmas. I get all my fucking toys and I'm stoked. I'm happier than a pig and shit. And hell yeah, I got all my toys. A couple days later, I go out and neighborhood kids are showing off their toys. And, you know, Jimmy across the street got the super soaker that's just better than mine. And because Jimmy got that super soaker and I didn't, my parents don't love me. You know, and I'm not good enough and I'm never going to be loved. And, you know, yeah. so it's just I'm I'm always even at a young age, I was comparing my insides to everybody else's outsides. Oh. And it was a losing losing game. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, at 13, my parents split up and, uh, you know, I kind of I was always kind of that rebellious kid that was always questioning authority, got into trouble and, uh, you know huge athlete, played a lot of sports, but did well in school and recognized like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do behave somewhat. So then I can get away with being a dickhead in other areas, you know? So I've always kind of been manipulative and, you know, how, how, how can I suit things to, 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 for the situation so I can do what I want to do. And, uh, you know, so at 13, my parents split up and, uh, 
hanging with the buddies on the baseball team and we we stole a bottle of uh aftershock is what it was you, Ooh, you remember that yeah, yeah that cinnamon with the crystals <laughs> <laughs> damn that's a blast <laughs> from the past right there buddy. exactly damn. some old school and so <laughs> we're sitting down and, and i take a pull off that bottle and uh you know now looking back like and having the, the the experience of reading the doctor's opinion, like that phenomenon of craving hit immediately. And I, I took a pull off that bottle and I passed it to the right and we're passing it around. And as it's getting passed around, I'm, I'm locked. My eyes are locked on that fucking bottle because I can't wait till it gets to me. And, um, you know, I, I proceeded to get absolutely smashed that night and, you know, have a good time blackout and, uh, you know, it was with some buddies on the baseball team. And so we had a game the next day. And, you know, I live out here in Southern California and out in like East San Diego. It gets pretty warm during the summer. It can get up to 105. And we're playing baseball that I had a game that next day. And I'm sitting in the infield and the dust is blowing and I'm hung over. And I'm not thinking about how bad I feel. I'm not swearing off booze. I, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait till I get to do that again. And so that kind of started my, my journey into pursuing that, that night, you know, for the next 12 to 13 years, chasing it to the gates of insanity and death. And oh. uh, so, yeah, that like booze gave me that sense of relief, that, that first drink. It was, yeah. you know, it, it, it was the solution to my problems. And uh, I identify with that where, you know, I don't, today, my understanding is, Booze isn't the problem. Booze is the solution to my problem and life is my problem. And so, you know, the long and the short of it, I, I drank and, and smoked a lot of weed and, uh, you know, started getting into the heavier stuff around 16, 17. And, you know, I played baseball pretty much all throughout high school until my senior year. I, uh, you know, uh, I got kicked off that baseball team because my partying. And so, you know, I'd crash cars. And so like I had, I had a significant amount of consequences pretty early on in my drinking, you know, and, uh, lost jobs. And, you know, it, it was, it was getting pretty severe and somewhere in that time in high school, you know, I'd mentioned my mom had been sober for 20 years. My mom started drinking again. And, um, you know, she she went to AA when I was younger, but I think, you know, looking back, she stopped going to AA, stopped and, you know, talking to her sponsor, so on and so forth. And, you know, that that drink comes, you know, if you're a real alcoholic, if, if I'm not treating my spiritual condition, I'm yep. going to fucking drink, Yep. you know, and and sure enough, you know, the day came where it was time to drink and she drank. And at that point, you know, she she was trying to rein me in at this point, you know. I hated my pops because he left my mom and, you know, just blaming everybody for, for the, for the poor little life I had. Right. You yeah. know, it was, I was a victim of life and uh, you know, so, so she started drinking and, and there was really no accountability or oversight. And so my, my drinking really accelerated and took off. And, and once I got kicked off that baseball team and, you know, it was me and the buddies. I, I hung out with the Lodies in high school. You know, I found that crowd and we were drinking before school, smoking joints and, uh, you know, ditching class. And so I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth and, uh, 
you know, it was, it was full go once high school was over and, um, you know, getting, getting girlfriends and them getting tired of my drinking, you know, after a couple months, they're like, man, like I like to party, but this is just a little too much for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, you know, I don't know about, I know you, you do more narcotics anonymous, correct. So I'm sure you have a extensive, uh, you know, method drug background right or party favors whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call absolutely. them right yeah. and and it's definitely part of my story um you know i got very you know we're pretty close to the border and so cocaine is readily available and it's it's a pretty good quality um and so i i started doing lots of cocaine and uh you know it's it was I was always that guy that like I would I would get hammered, you know, and, and go to work and be sitting at work at 19 years old. And I'm like, man, I'm never doing that again. And, you know, come three o'clock, the, you know, I'm getting off work in, the, in that liquor store or the buddy's house. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to stop by and have a beer. And I would stop by and I'd, <laughs> it, I was going to have just one. Yeah. And then lo, yeah. lo and behold, here it is four in the morning and I'm, you know, blowing out of my mind and I got to be at work in two hours. And I'm like, how the fuck did this happen again? Damn you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that, that was the deal. And, uh, you know, there was a period at, at about 19, I kind of like, I was working construction and I, and I, and I was not having it. I was like, fuck this. I gotta, I gotta do something with my life. Right. I gotta, I gotta get it together. And so I'm just going to smoke weed. I'm not going to fucking drink. The drinking's the problem. The cocaine's the problem. And I was actually able to do it for a good six or seven months. And, uh, you know, I, I went back to school and started doing really well there and, and really applying myself. And so, like, I was able to always, like, get it together for long enough to try to, like, build it back up and get some semblance of responsibility and success going. Um and uh, eventually the day comes where I, I, you just see that's the problem with like marijuana maintenance for me is I, I I'll smoke weed and, and but then I'll forget I can't drink. <laughs> and so it's right. like I'll start drinking again. And um, I was out and I'm I'm a smaller guy. I'm like five, six on a real good day and 150 pounds, especially when I'm drinking and uh, I, I drink Jack Daniels and do a lot of cocaine when I drink. And so I get I get pretty mouthy and I, I tend to get mouthy with the wrong people. And, uh, you know, one night we're out and we're partying and, and I get mouthy with the wrong guy and get into an altercation, a fight and get the shit kicked out of me. And in, in the process of getting in that fight, I, I got tackled and my leg gets twisted up and contorts in a fucked up way. And. I looked down and my foot's hanging the other way, turned around the way it's supposed to be hanging. And uh, I broke my tibia and fibia. And so what does the doctor do? Oh, I'm getting loads of uh, Percocet at, at, at will. And so, uh, you know, I'm eating Percocet and smoking weed. And uh, every time is funny. I, every time I'd go into the doctor, she's like, what's your pain level? 10, 10, yeah. 10. <laughs> And so after about four months of that, she's like, okay, you're not at a pain of 10 anymore. We got to cut you off these things. And, uh, you know, I developed a a nice little opiate habit at that point. And, uh, you know, one night I'm kind of withdrawn, not feeling too good a couple days after finally being cut off. And, uh, I hit up a buddy of mine about, Hey man, can you get me some bike it in? He's like, no, but I got something better. And this is when, Oxycontin was like 
before they made them to where you could abuse them, right? Where you could take a hose clamp, shave them up and actually crush them up and, and smoke them. And he, he, he comes over and he, and he hooks me up with some oxys and, uh, you know, it was great because I was like, man, this is phenomenal. The girlfriend's happy. I'm not drinking. I'm not stoned. I'm just kind of mellow. And and I can interact and I can function, go to class. And, uh, you know, after a while, that oxy habit gets a little too expensive. And, and then comes the, uh, you know, the black tar heroin. That's what we've got yep. down here. And, you know, I started out smoking it. And, uh I'm smoking it and <clears throat> still going to school, still functioning. And, and, you know, I'm not drinking, but I'm not drawing a sober breath. You know, I'm I, first thing in the morning, I'm chasing the dragon, uh, going to class, chasing the dragon in the bathroom at work and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I decide San Diego's the problem. And this, this is how good, like my thinking is at solving problems. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with Chico state university. Uh-uh. So it it's a it's a college up in Northern California that is just absolutely notorious. Like I think in the '90s it was voted by Playboy like the number one party school in the country. And so I'm, I'm living down in San Diego, and I think San Diego's the problem. I'm I'm going to move to Chico <laughs> to get away from partying, you know, because that the heroin's down there. So I end up moving to Chico, and I I get sober. Well, not sober. I kicked dope for about a two week period, but in that two weeks, I'm at the bar every single night and uh, I'm drinking all day, every day. And uh, so I get tired of that and I come up with the grand plan. I'm going to, I'm going to start driving on Friday after class. I'm going to drive down to San Diego, pick up an ounce of dope and bring it up there. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to yeah. be able to fund, fund my dope <laughs> habit, you know, cause there's, there's no dope up here so I can sell it at an extra premium and, and it'll be great. And uh, that lasted about two trips where I was actually selling enough to finance the next trip. And, uh, you know, the long and the short of it is I'm, uh, that's where I got introduced to uh, shooting up up there. You know, a, a guy I was running low one day and uh, he's like, Hey man, like, you know, it'll stretch out a lot farther if you, if you just bang it. And, uh, you know, that was one of those things that I swore I'd never do. You know, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I will ne I will never stick a needle in my arm. And, uh, you know, here I am, you know, at, at college, in university, on my way, I, I wanted to be a doctor, you know, majoring in biology and actually doing well. And I'm, I'm sticking a needle in my arm. And, uh, you know, if the progression, that's where the progression kind of accelerated. And I'm a... Uh, I like I like shooting cocaine with my heroin, and obviously that that doesn't work out too well. Like speeding the heart up, slowing it down, it uh, it kills people pretty quickly. And I'm shooting dope one night, and uh, my buddy ODs and dies in front of me, and that's kind of started like my whole journey coming in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous and in recovery rehabs. You know, and so tough little guy like I am, what I do is I call mom you know, after that incident and I'm crying, you know, I need to get sober, you know? And so I come out of school, drop out of college and I, and I come back down to San Diego and I, and I got into rehab and that was my, my first time in, in rehab. And in that rehab, the dude is uh, my counselor. I remember, I still remember it like it was yesterday. 
I think he saw right through the bullshit that I was spewing. He uh, he looks at me and he says, "Kid, you're so fucked up that you're gonna have to like live in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous." Oh shit! <laughs> and I look at him and oh, and, and I'm just like, "What the fuck do you know? You're right. full of shit," you know. Right. And and in there, you know, I, I I when I went into that rehab, it was about. 135 pounds, you know, not doing too well, but like they're feeding me four times a day. I'm gaining weight. After the first two weeks, I start sleeping. So I'm starting to feel good after that 28 days, you know, day 24, 25, you know, that tick comes in and it's like, man, I I can do it just one more time. You know, I can, I can get loaded. So I start coordinating, you know, from the rehab to have my dope dealer pick me up at rehab. And uh, he, he picks me up at rehab and I'm smoking dope in the parking lot of the fucking rehab. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to go back to the needles. I'm just going to smoke it. The needle was the fucking problem. <laughs> About three days later, I'm, I'm crossing the border and I'm in Mexico shooting dope in a shooting gallery. And, um, you know, so for the next three years, I, I, uh, it was in and out of rehabs and sober livings, recovery homes, um, you know, and every time it was like, I'm, I'm not doing this again. Like I can't keep doing this. And then the delusion, you know, and that there would be times I'd be in rehab, the delusion that like, like I could drink, you know, like dope's the problem. I can drink and smoke weed and I'd get out of rehab and I'd, you know, maybe stay sober for a few days, a week, two weeks at most and start going to AA, get a sponsor. And then the idea would, would come across my mind, like, man, I, I, I can have a beer. It's no big deal. And, uh, you know, I, I'm the type of guy that pretty quickly after taking a drink, that craving kicks in and, uh, I I'm on the blue line, which is the trolley. So it's like the public transit down to TJ. It takes you right up to the border. You walk right across and you, you got, it's Disneyland for adults. That's what I call Tijuana, Mexico. Um, you can get, you can get anything you want and, and have the time of your life. And so, um, you know, I did that. And, uh, eventually what happens is, you know, I commit, obviously committing all kinds of crime to, to finance my habit. You know, I, I'm stealing from, I had a pretty good few good little schemes going that like was able to finance my habit. And, uh, you know, I eventually that caught up with me. And, uh, one day I'm, uh, I'm shooting dope with a buddy and a, and a detective calls me and, and she's like, Hey, Mr. Pets, you know, or Mr. Derek, we need to, we need to come, uh, come talk to you and, and ask you a few questions. And, and I, uh, I said, well, you know what, catch me if you fucking can and hung up the phone <laughs> and, uh, Later that night, I'm driving down the street, and little did I know, one of my taillights was out. <laughs> oh, no. And a cop lights me up. And so I get booked. I, I had dope and paraphernalia all on me. So I got charged. Uh, I got booked on the drug charges. And as I'm uh, going to court to be arraigned on the drug charges, judge looks at me and says hey hey mr derrick so we we actually have some people that have been looking for you and he proceeds to arraign me on uh about i think it was five counts of commercial burglary and uh you know like my my gut just sank down and i'm like oh my god like i'm i'm fucked and uh you know so i i knew i'd been hanging out around 
pound rehab and like, you know, my jailhouse lawyer was advising me, uh, dude, why don't you just, why don't you just ask for like a program that, that'll save you. And so I asked for a program and the judge, uh, he said, yeah, you can go to a program. And if you finish that program, you know, then we'll waive the drug charge, but these burglary charges we're, we're still going to charge you on. Um, so I went to a program and, uh, is at this place that's pretty uh well renowned here in San Diego and it's uh I, I call it like big book boot camp big book boot camp where okay. you know you you have guys coming in that, that graduated the program thirty years ago and there's AA meetings there every single day and they're they're sitting on the porch with you and you know asking what step are you on and uh you know I'm in this place and I get a sponsor and I start chicken shit work in the steps and uh you know but in the back of my mind i had the idea like man i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do what i'm told until i get off paper and then i can go do what i want to do and um you know that didn't last all but i think four months i stayed sober in that place and then eventually the day comes where like it it's time to drink and you know i i i wasn't willing to take that first step that I was powerless over alcohol. So if I, if I don't believe I'm doomed to die an alcoholic or drug addict death, why would I do the rest of the steps to the best of my ability? And so I was chicken shitting them and the day came where I had to drink. And, um, I come back to that facility one night to try to sneak my way into bed. And, you know, it was, I was burnt <laughs> and I, and I proceeded to get kicked out and, uh, oh, at this damn. point. Yeah, at this point. So, you know, starts running through my head. I'm fucked. The judge is going to be pissed. Yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, I, I got kicked out, call mom and, and, you know, God bless her. She, uh, she took me in one last time and, uh, I I'm living in her house and I, and I convinced her that I didn't get kicked out for, for getting loaded. I got into a, a fist fight with a guy and, and that's why I got kicked out. All about probably three to five days of staying with her. Uh, I'm stealing her checkbook and writing hot checks and, and, and going down to Mexico. And one of my trips down to Mexico, she calls me as I'm sitting on the trolley. And, I, and she says, you're no longer fucking welcome at my house. And if you come anywhere near our house or call me, I will be calling the police. And, uh, you know, for the next, I think it was three weeks, I... Uh, you know, was living on the streets and, and doing whatever I had to do to get a drink in me. And um, one day I'm coming down off methamphetamine and, and drinking a tall boy and I don't even do methamphetamine. Um, definitely not one of my favorite substances to ingest. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm coming down off meth and, I, and I'm sitting in a park and I remember it was like a Sunday afternoon. I'm sitting in this park and I'm looking at families and and looking through my cell phone and I'm trying to find one more person that I can call to run game on that I can convince to let me stay on their couch, give me 10 bucks, just give me, give me some help. And, uh, you know, there was not one person in my phone book that I could call to run. And I had burnt pretty much every bridge that I had. And so, uh, at this park, it was along a busy street. And a city bus would come by every 15 or 30 minutes. 
going probably about 50 miles per hour. And uh, my best idea, I'm an idea guy, right? Like, I don't know if you identify with this, but I, I always have a bright idea oh, to keep yeah. the gig going, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm so thankful for that moment in time, that day drinking, uh, that, that feeling that I felt there where my best option was to jump in front of that city bus. And that was the, that was the best idea I could come up with. And, um, thank God. And I, I, I credit this to, to God, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in God. And when I say God, higher power, whatever that conception is to you, um, I believe God came in at that moment and, and, and gave me like a, just a little bit of like clarity to call a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, I called a dude and, and he said, you know what, kid, be there, stay there. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And he comes and picks me up and they, and he, uh, he takes me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, in that meeting, I, I realized I was the only one in there that wanted to eat a fucking bullet. Everybody else was laughing and smiling and having a great time. And uh, I was the only one that was hating life and wa- wanting to check out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, that kind of started. That was my first day sober. Um, well, the next day was my first day sober. I, uh, I ended up going up to another facility way up in the mountains, and it's 50 dudes on a big uh, dirt lot. They got miniature golf on a dirt course. You know, we rake lines in the dirt. They're called serenity lines. And, and you know, it's, uh, it, it's, bi- it's like if the, the first place I went to was uh, – was big book big book boot camp this was like big book boot camp on steroids and uh so i i get there and in my first day there i sit down and and the the moderator god bless his heart he's he's no longer with us he looks at me and he says you know what kid you need to find god or fucking die and it just kind of like oh shit (laughs) yeah man that's the real deal though man that's the real deal right there yeah, it was it was no joke about it. He didn't, you know, the guy didn't care about my feelings. He didn't care about what I thought. He didn't care about like my childhood and like, you know, any any of the bullshit victim stories that I could tell him. All he cared about was was I taking spiritual actions to overcome my alcoholism. And he said, you know what, kid, you need to find God or die. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm pretty fucking atheist. I'm like, fuck God. You know, I'd uh, I'd went to a Christian school and and in that school, it was like Baptist Christian school. And they said, you know, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're burning in hell. And I was I wanted no part of that God. And so I was uh, I was pretty. resistant to the idea of God. And, um, but I expressed that like the, the fear in of drinking was greater than the fear of like be- coming to believe in God. Um, cause I knew drinking wasn't going to fucking do it. You know, I, I, I was at that uncle moment where it's like, dude, just tell me what to fucking do. And, uh, I got into action, man. And he, in that place, like, we, re- we would read from the doctor's opinion all the way through um, into action and start over. Doctor's opinion into action. And, and as new guys would come in, we'd go back to the doctor's opinion. And so 
I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous there, man. And I, uh, I did a third step prayer and then I, I wrote an inventory and I, and, and I'd written inventories before and they were kind of bullshit chicken shit inventories where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to look cool for sponsor. This is the shit he wants to fucking hear, you know, like, but like on this inventory, like I, I remember I, I sat there and I was like, man, there, there was some shit, you know, like I got sexually abused as a child, you know, and like all of the grimy, like just dirty criminal shit that I had done. I'm like, fuck, I'm not telling another man this shit, you know? And uh, I put it on that paper and, and, I, and I was just willing to be um, as honest and thorough as possible and uh, as God would allow me to be. And, and that guy would tell me like, man, if you're having trouble being honest on this paper, why don't you hit your knees and ask God for the direction before you start writing? And, and I just did it. Like, I didn't believe this shit was going to work. I was like, fuck, how is this fucking hippie fucking shit going to work? This is a <laughs> junior counselor bullshit. Yeah, this uh, is a yeah. bunch of hocus pocus Easter bunny <laughs> bullshit. Like, what the fuck? Like, nah, like I'm a, I'm a redneck from East County, San Diego. Like, I don't believe in this spiritual woo woo shit, you know? And, um, you know, so I, 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 oh, shit. I just did it. And, and it was awesome because he, there, I did my fifth step and I told that man that stuff and, uh, I told him everything. And, and then I did step six and seven, and this was probably about 60 days into being sober. And, uh, I did step six and seven. And, uh, I believe I attribute this to like starting to develop that conscious contact with God. Um, you know, I did it, I did step six and seven up on the hill, kind of like overlooking everything. And, um, I came walking down that hill and like, for the first time in my life, like I felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't get along with a lot of people. I'm a very small circle type of guy. And these are my friends. And, uh, you know, I was filled with anger. Like I didn't know what anger was until you removed alcohol. Then I was fucking angry. It was like, fuck the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I hated everybody up there, but I kind of noticed after doing step six and seven and getting into some action, like I hated my roommates just a little less, you know, and I, I, I was actually able to sleep at night and like, instead of having the fucking hamster wheel going all night and thinking about how I need to get a job and, and worried about like how in debt I am, am I going to go to jail, all this stuff. And, um, I, I just started to finally have a sense of relief. And uh, that man up there that moderated those classes, he was huge on, okay, a new guy's come in. You, you're you up to this point. Now it's your job to show them how to get up to your point. And so, um, you know, I, I it's a three-month program. I ended up staying up there for six and a half months because nobody would take me in, <laughs> you know? Like the parents were like, no, you ain't. we've seen this before. You've gotten sober before just to fuck us over. Like right. that is not happening. And uh, I ended up staying up there for six and a half months. And in that six and a half months, man, like I, we would do big book studies and I, and I was involved in, you know, helping the new guy. I couldn't make any amends because I was stuck up there. And my sponsor was very clear about, no, we make amends in person. You ain't writing a fucking letter. You've got to go face the wreckage you've done. You don't, you don't get the luxury of sending it in the mail. 
right. to, to make something right. And so eventually I get out of that, hit, get down from that hill and I move into a recovery home and, you know, and in getting into that recovery home, I'm like, I got these grandiose ideas of like the job I'm going to get. And my sponsor looks at me, I'm telling him my plan. And he's like, motherfucker, you need to walk it. <laughs> you need to walk to any store that is close to here in the first place that offers you a job you fucking take yeah, <laughs> and, yeah man you know and I, I look at him like well, that's fucking kind of rude you know i'm better than that <laughs> and i end up getting a job at a fucking call center and i'm just it's like i'm you know i'm like fuck this and, and he's like well if you don't like that job why don't you keep looking for another and uh you know he was very adamant about you know yeah, go find your job, go do that. But like your primary purpose needs to be Alcoholics Anonymous and you need yeah. to make that the forefront and the focal point of your life. And uh, he's the guy like sitting in a meeting, a new guy would share. And, you know, sometimes new guys, I don't know if you've seen this, at a meeting they share and then they immediately like go running out the back door to get away from getting cornered from people. And he he would look at me and he said, if you don't fucking go get him, I fucking will. And so I'd jump up and go find new guys, you know, and that was like what he told me. And I started uh, making amends. And he was he was very clear because my parents, I had made amends to them before. He's like, dude, dude you're, you're, you need to show them that you're actually going to stay sober before you get to go make those amends, you know. And, um you know, so it was in the big book. One of my favorite lines is uh, elimination of drinking is but a start. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective, respective homes, occupations and affairs. And he stressed that he's like, man, like drinking is, is just the beginning, dude. You need to become a brand new person and um, yeah. and act better. You know, like these set of these set of principles are how you act. Like, cool. The the first step's the only one that deals with booze. The rest is to teach you not to be a selfish fucking asshole. Bingo. <laughs> you know? There it is. Yep. It, 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 and that's my problem. Like when you get down to brass tacks, like my problem with life is Derek. It's not anybody else. It's not booze. Booze is just the way I deal with the guilt and the shame and the selfishness that I'm consumed with. And so, um, yeah, man, he, he, I got immersed in Alcoholics Anonymous and like I was in this recovery home and I was pretty tired of it. And like, you know, he, he had me go back and make amends to my, my former, my former employer that I'd stolen from and done all kinds of rotten shit to, and I go back and I, I make amends in that office and I'm working a dishwashing job and I'm bitching about my dishwashing job. And he's saying, you got a job and all that spiritual sponsor shit that you just don't want to hear. Like when you're in it and I'm bitching, I don't want to hear that. Like, do you trust God? Like you have a job? Like, fuck you. Don't you hear my problem? Like, what is, how's that going to help my problem? <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. so I, I, I made amends to that, that firmer employer and in, in, in about a month later, you know, washing dishes and just doing what I'm told and doing Alcoholics Anonymous, that employer calls me up and says, Hey, you know what guy? Um, we actually need some help. We're picking up on work. You, you want to come in and sit down and see if you're willing to come back. And, uh, you know, I ended up staying with that company for eight and a half years and, and that's a large, got me into the industry that I'm in right now and, and, and has 
been pivotal in, in, you know, the life I have today. And so I, I ended up getting that job going to sober living. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the funny things is we were, we were going to this speaker meeting and it, it was about 250, 300 people at this speaker meeting on a Saturday night. And me and my buddy, my little road dog, I would go and pick him up all the time. We'd go to meetings and that's all we did was Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And we go and we're setting up this meeting and I'm doing the coffee there. We're setting up chairs and it's like three of us setting up this whole meeting. And I'm bitching and complaining to my sponsor the whole time because it was it's kind of like the date night meeting down here in San Diego where like all the young kids come, they bring their girlfriends and and I'm sitting there and I'm bitching. I'm like, dude, like fuck these guys. They're all fucking running around, getting pussy, living life. And he looks at me and says, Hey, Hey, do you want what they have? And I'm like, yes, I need some vagina <laughs> in my life. Like this is some bullshit. And yeah. you know, a couple weeks later you hear a story about how that guy and that girl got loaded. And then he'd look at me and he'd say, Derek, do you want what they have? And I finally started to get it. And I'm like, ah, that's what he fucking needs, you know? And, uh, you know, so that was like my first year, year and a half in Alcoholics Anonymous was just only AA work in AA. And, uh, you know, life is life got really good, man. And, uh, you know, I've been sober about 10 years now and, for the most part, Alcoholics Anonymous has been like the focal point of my life. And uh, there's been periods th- of time where, you know, I've, I've pursued material success before spiritual progress, right? And, uh, you know, whether that be usually through work and ambitions and, you know, I, where I can get fucked up is I can, you know, work, be a workaholic at work and work 16 hour days and say, I'm just being ambitious because I'm trying to provide for my wife and I, you know, and the reality is, is, is I'm being ambitious because I want to do what I want to do. You know, I want to get enough money so I can retire early and, and I'm sacrificing Alcoholics Anonymous in effort to, because I think I need to handle the money situation. Like God's got my alcoholism, right? But God's not going to take care of the job. He's not going to take care of the home life. Like alcoholism, cool, you got this, God. But all that stuff, I can take care of. And uh, usually, what happens is I get pretty fucking miserable. And uh, you know, there's been times in my sobriety where I've driven to work thinking, how can I fucking firebomb this work and get get away with it? <laughs> you know, right? right. <laughs> and it and it's like, and then I'm stepping on the toes of my fellows, and I'm fucking shit up at home. And uh, sponsor says, well, you know what, kid? How, how many new guys are you working with? Ooh. And, uh, and I'm like, fuck you. Like, why do you yeah. always got to bring it back to what I'm doing in Alcoholics Anonymous? And so, you know, thank God it's been a few years since I've really gotten into that state of mind. But, uh, you know, AA and the spiritual program, the 12 steps and like whether that you do NA or AA or whatever, like the steps are the steps in my opinion and the spiritual principles will yield the same results no matter what, right? I do AA because that's what I started doing. I mean, I'm lucky being in Southern California where we can basically, you know, I I, I can look up a meeting right now and I can probably make it to five meetings by six o'clock within 20 miles of my house, you know? And so uh, I, I'm extremely spoiled. I know not everybody else is that fortunate, but um, you know, if, if I do Alcoholics Anonymous, like I've realized that like 
all the other what I think are problems in my life just kind of take care of themselves. And it's like, fuck, man. Like, who would have fucking thought that these 12 steps, this hippie Easter bunny bullshit was going to be the solution to my problem? You know, like who, yeah. who, who would have thought <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but it, it fucking works. So, um, yeah, man, that's kind of like it. Like my story, I, sorry, I rambled a little much and got a no, little carried away, that's... but I just, I, I, I love talking recovery and especially I love talking recovery about myself. Cause those are my like two favorite topics, <laughs> like me, me and recovery. You know, you can't go wrong. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but well, no, no so that's, power- I mean, go, yeah, sorry, a, brother. You good. It's a, it's a powerful story. One of the questions I, I'm, I am curious about, um, how, how did the, uh, local meetings there fare during the COVID? So, yeah, because, you know, obviously California out here where government tells you how many plies of toilet paper to, to use to wipe your ass, um, they, they all shut down. And so, um, Damn, man. thank God, you know, it, or they shut down and they went to Zoom, you know, most of them went to Zoom. And um, thank God, like, I'm fortunate enough that the group of men, so like today, you know, being 10 years sober, it's been outside of speaking at a meeting or being asked to, to lead a meeting. I haven't been to a mixed meeting like on my own choice in probably three and a half, four years. Um, so I go to all men's meetings and, uh, you know, the men in those rooms, we, we stepped up and we said, hey, like my backyard's open this Tuesday night. My backyard's open this Thursday night. And so we would, you know, at times we would have 15 to 25 guys sitting in a backyard talking recovery, having a meeting. That's uh, where it's at, man. That's where it's at right there. Absolutely. Bringing new guys. You know, it was was open. Like, oh, you got a wet one? Bring him. You know, bring him to the fucking meeting. And and I'm fortunate and I'm blessed to be in a group of men that, you know, where Alcoholics Anonymous is number one. You know, and they're they're guys that we call each other on our bullshit. You know, if dudes complaining about something, I'm like, okay, well, what's your part? And like, yeah, I notice <laughs> you're, you're 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 skipping some meetings lately. You think it has anything to do with it? You know, and uh, so it's it's very much like hold each other accountable. But those men, dude, I could call I could call fucking twenty dudes in my phone books tonight at two a.m. if I'm stranded on the side of the freeway, and they would be there. And so it's, uh, you know, they're, they're my family and it's, it's, it's a fucking awesome fellowship, you know, that we got out here. We're, we're fortunate. I'm very yes. fortunate that the, you touched on a certain point, man. And I think it's so important that, uh, you know, we, we inform people, especially those on the outside looking in who may one day need the helping hand of Alcoholics Anonymous or in a, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that this, these programs are so much more than just not using like you're literally changing years and years of unhealthy coping mechanisms. You're learning how to approach this thing <laughs> called life, you know, uh, how to be Absolutely. a productive member of society and not, not just any, not a- average member. Like I'm talking like upper, upper echelon of humility, uh, humanity, all the good things that you think about the human experience. That's what, that's what we learn to espouse or at least try to, you know, and yeah, dude, what, what beautiful dude. It, it is absolutely beautiful, man. Like it's, it's one of those things like 
you know, I, I trust like, you know, I, I would trust most men in my inner circle and Alcoholics Anonymous to like escort my wife home if she was shit faced drunk and nothing funny would happen, you yeah. know? And, and it's like, I can't say that about like my coworkers that are quote unquote friends, you know, they're going to get a little handsy and make a move. But like these dudes and Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the cool thing is dude, that like early on, they invited me into their homes and I got to see like how, how they treated their wives, how they treated their kids. And I was like, holy fuck, like these guys aren't full of shit. Like they just ain't doing this in the meeting. They actually live this. And like, you know, they, they would share experiences. Like AA taught me how to be a good employee. You know, my sponsor was big on like, you know, there's that saying meeting makers make it. And I, and, and I don't think that means people that go to meetings make it. I think that means, and it's been my experience, the people that make it are the ones that make the meeting happen. The ones that get there to set up, the ones that do the coffee, the ones that pick up cigarette butts. And so AA taught me, show up early, stay late, go above and beyond, you know, be helpful. And, you know, it. I think it's paid extreme dividends in my professional life, in my home life, you know, it's it's paid dividends everywhere. Like you just said, man, that like it fucking has, has made me a better human being. It made me the human, it just turned me into the guy I always wanted to be. Yep. You know? And it's like, fuck, you know, that that's the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, or NA, the 12 steps, this, this spiritual way of life. Yeah. NA, NA formulated with the help, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm big time history buff when it comes to these programs. And okay. uh, one of the guys, one of the guys who is largely um, responsible for the traditions portion of the basic text, his name was Greg P. He's passed on, but okay. uh, and his old history workshops that he had, he, he addresses a letter that was received to one of the first founding members of NA from uh, Bill W himself. And just oh, wow. hearing, hearing that correspondence going back and forth that, uh, ah, man, it's just, there's so much to it. And, and we are in such a different time where cats like you and me are seen as someone who can potentially get this deal eventually someday. Whereas back then when AA and NA first started, man, they didn't have a hope for people like us, you know, no. we didn't get sober. It didn't happen. You know, <clears throat> it- Exactly. I mean, I remember I read up on AA history like like you do with AA and NA and like, man, they would they would take us and they would lock us up in the asylum. Yep. You know, a dude that, that that couldn't get sober, they would lock you up and throw away the fucking key. And it would take people going to the judge to be like, we'll sp- we'll sponsor this dude. We'll take him out of here. And if it doesn't work out, we'll bring him back or whatnot, you know. And yeah, it's 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 fucking amazing and like i believe like the big book was divinely written because it's like you know i i go to two big book studies a week two of my meetings are big book studies and you know i i read that text and 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 i believe it's a blueprint you know i call it a text because it's this is this is my my way to live it's not just a book it's it's something that should be studied and and um you know i read that and it's like 
This was written fucking what? 80, almost 90 years ago. And it makes sense in my life. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, yeah. how does yeah. that work? <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and there's a funny, there's an old guy, uh, old timer, Charlie. He's about 35 years sober. Uh, funny little short, angry fucker. Um, he, he says, you know, you know, my sponsor told me when I first got sober, I needed to learn the big book inside and out so I can know who's full of shit. And I was like, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we yeah, got those right on. See, I, I started out in AA myself, you know, and, and I okay. still go to, I actually got voluntold to uh, chair this AA meeting. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, okay. Chairing this month. So I, I still got a lot of love for AA, but one of my very first sponsors, he's an old, old hard nose, you know, cat, old timer. Uh, yeah. He bought me a big book, handed it to me, said, open it up to the first page. And it was blank. He said, that's exactly how much, you know, your job yep. is to shut the fuck up for the next 30 days and not say a word. Just <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and that's, I mean, I don't know, like with society, like, you know, I'm, I'm in upper management at my work and, you know, we're in construction, but even it, even in construction, you know, the new young cats that come in, like, and, and they're in their twenties. It's like, man, when I was coming up in the industry, my boss, there was no room for bullshit. And now it's, you got to coddle them. And, you know, and, you know, my, my old boss would say, your thank you is a paycheck at the end of the week. That's your fucking yep. thank you. Yep. And now it's like, hey, job well done, guys. Let's have a high fives. You know, here's a gift card for doing well today type of thing. And it's, you know, AA, I've seen it kind of come into AA, that whole like, oh, dude, like here, everything's going to be okay. And man, the, the guys told me everything ain't going to be okay. You're, you're fucked. You're dying. You're dying yeah. of alcoholism, dude. It is not okay. And they, they told me the truth, no matter how much it hurt, but it was the truth about my condition. And, and you know, I, I, I love that old school, you know, shut the fuck up. You don't know shit, AA or NA. You yeah. Know? Work the steps or die, motherfucker. That's what they used to <laughs> say all the time, you know? Fuck, fucking A. That's, that's the reality, right? Yep. That's it. That's absolutely yeah. it. So yeah. um, you and I connected because of Liberty Twitter. So, you know, kind of real quick, yeah. like how how did you, especially living where you live, or maybe that's why you've kind of drifted into liberty and libertarianism. But what what happened there? How'd you get get to that spot? So that that's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, growing up here, you know, San Diego, it's obviously a heavy <clears throat> heavy military town, right? Yeah. And I grew up like East County. So it's, it's pretty red conservative. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so growing up, like I remember being in high school when nine 11 happened, right. And the Patriot act and that whole thing. And, and my attitude was like, Oh, turn the middle East into an ashtray. Like, Oh, the Patriot act's fine. Like if you got nothing to hide, what does it matter if they're spying right. on you? So I was a, I was a good little fucking neocon. You know, I was just all about, you know, what do you have to worry? The state's here to protect us, all that bullshit. And um, it was, what, 2007, six-ish. I, I go to Chico State and my roommate up at college, he uh, he introduced me to Alex Jones. And he uh, 
he showed me some like videos and stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh shit, some of this stuff makes a little sense. And then, uh, you know, obviously 2008 Ron Paul, and he was a huge Ron Paul supporter. And he started just like kind of spoon feeding me this shit. And, uh, you know, so I started watching that and I was like, fuck, the dude's actually making pretty good sense. You know, like they hate us because we bomb the fuck out of them. That checks out. Like, you know, and I started to practice like a little introspection there and be like, well, fuck, how would I feel if some country from some far off land bombed my house with my wife and kids in it? I'd probably make it my, you know, life goal to kill those fuckers, you know? And so that's where the shift kind of started to happen. And then, you know, the last few years drinking, I mean, I got sober in 2011. So from like 2008, getting introduced to Ron Paul and and getting loaded, I I didn't put much thought to it. You know, I'm I'm worrying about where my next bag is. But then once I got sober, you know, I started to like actually get interested in philosophy. I I like learning and expanding my knowledge. And I, uh, I got introduced. uh, I'm sure you've heard, you know, him, Adam Kokesh on YouTube. Oh yeah. Right. And, and so I start watching Kokesh videos once I get sober and I'm like, fuck. And that started kind of my evolution where I was like, constitutionalist like oh we need you know minarchist we need to have like you know just the smallest amount of government possible and then it just kept on like you know progressing to full-on like i'm ancap or agorist like you know where i i think the elimination of the state should be the end goal you know a, a completely voluntary free society and so it was just kind of this natural progression and you know i i'd say since I've been sober, I haven't voted and I haven't bought into the duopoly of the two party system, you know, and it's just one of those things like and and I do see like Dave Smith and some of the other like Liberty, you know, uh, talking heads, you know, the idea of, well, like, let's spread the message through the libertarian party and spread that idea. But like for me, ultimately, the end goal should be like the elimination of the state. And so I'm pretty like, you know. I don't try to put labels, but like anarchists, like hardcore, like no state, we could voluntarily do this. Like we're all peaceful people. We can make it fucking work, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's where I'm at. And, like, and I'm always open to like, if somebody presents evidence to me right now today that could change my way of thinking on that, fuck yeah, you know? But, um, you know, so I'm always open to new ideas and learning, but I definitely, you know, especially with, you know, Corona over the past year and the medicine mandates, all that stuff that's kind of been coming down the pipeline. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we're, we're trending in the right direction. And I, and I hope that enough people wake up to where we can kind of avert it. But I, I don't think I have very high hopes for, you know, the future of the state. So, um, oh, man. yeah, that I'm kind of black pilled at this point. I don't have, I don't have much hope. I'm like, it's all fucked. Burn it down. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah. It, I think, I think it's know. like, it's less of a, a black pill and it's more of just like understanding exactly like what you're capable of doing. I mean, at least that's where I've wound myself up at, you know, Sure. Like my white pills come from the meetings, man, and and the people I meet in recovery, and that's like focus on what I can do, and that's you know foster this as much as it, possible. 
Exactly. And like, what is, you know, for you guys like you and I, what's our primary purpose? It's to carry this message and help another alcoholic drug addict. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I try to, you know, yeah, I try to be prepared and, and stay up to date with like what's going on. And I'm all for like fighting for liberty. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I trust and believe that if I'm trying to perform God's will in my life and God's will in my life is pretty simple. I try not to complicate it. It's to help another drunk and be useful to other people. So if I'm, if I'm doing those things, like there's no reason for me to believe that all my needs aren't going to be met, you know, cause it, I, God hasn't brought me this far and dropped me on my ass. You know, there, there hasn't been a time that I'm like, you know, <laughs> hungry and not be able to pay the bills you know it's i've always had enough you know so yeah um, i try not yeah so just trying not to get caught up in the minutiae in the bullshit of it right it's like okay what can i control well i can't control a whole lot so let's just worry about what i can you know yeah i'm and you know you mentioned ron paul and i'm real envious of all the people who like live that moment, which I guess we're kind of getting from what I can gather another resurgence of it via the Mises caucus and the Dave Smith and all of that. But man, when Ron Paul was like really making waves, I was high as hell. Like I I was not paying any attention (laughs) to anything except, you know, where's that dub sack at right now? You know? And so, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wasn't like, going to ron paul rallies that's for sure <laughs> you know it was more oh this guy's talking some fucking sense uh fuck it i got a bag to do you know right so, yeah but even just going back and watching it on youtube doing the deep dive if it, if it even is still there anymore probably not it's probably been censored and you know taken off the internet but uh you yeah, know going yeah. back and looking at it yeah going back and looking at it and being like oh fuck that motherfucker made a lot of fucking sense dude yeah he was right <laughs> you know fuck yeah well man yeah, Derek, so. thank you so much for coming on uh awesome story Man, thank you. I needed to hear that. And I know that, you know, there's obviously other people out there that need to hear it as well. But uh, before we wrap up, there is one thing I ask all all the people who uh, share their story to do. And that is if you could speak directly to the one person in the audience who was struggling to get sober, what would you tell them? You know, that that's that's a cool question, because like it's it's kind of like, you know, when I'm uh sponsoring a new guy or approaching that new guy and uh you know my experience is that like you know no matter how you're feeling right now if you're if you're struggling with drinking drugging um you know you never have to drink again you know and and we we do have an answer to to how that's possible and you never have to feel the way you do right now you know like i shared in my story that last day drinking what I thought was the darkest day of my life right in an all-time low I look back today and I and I think was one of the best moments of my life because it got me willing to do the work and it got me to where I am here 10 years later so if you're feeling lonely just know that you're not alone Um, other people have felt that way I have felt that way and I can guarantee you that there are dozens, hundreds of people out there, whether, you know, no matter what city you're in, you can walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, NACA, 
what a heroin anonymous, whatever. And there will probably be a, a dozen people that will do anything they can to help you out. And, um, you know, so that, that's my biggest thing is you're, you're not alone. And, uh, you know, even though like guys like me and clean here have, have, you know, built a life to get, you know, built a life up through staying sober. Um, you know, it, it, we were, we were at your point at one point also. So, um, yeah, that's probably it, man. It's just, you know, you're, you're not alone out there. That's the biggest thing. <clears throat> Very, very well put, man. And and I agree wholeheartedly. You're definitely not alone. So, uh, yeah. well, Derek, if somebody listened to you, they, they really liked hearing from you. Is there any way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can hit me up on Subby on Twitter. That's S-U-B-B-Y. Um, you know, feel free to DM me anytime. Um, you know, lately I've been pretty wrapped up with work, so it may take me a minute to uh, to get back to you. But um, you know, I will get back to you, and I'll answer any questions and and help out in any way I can. Right on. Well, thanks a lot, Derek. We'll have to bring you back on later on down the line. Right on, brother. Yeah, we can talk all, all anything else you want to talk about. I, I love talking about it all, and I. Thank you for having me on, and I, I had an absolute blast, my man. Right on, man. Well, you have a good one. All right. You too, brother. All right. There you go. Thanks a lot again to Derek for coming on and sharing his story and sharing some of that old school AA stuff. Guys, I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, and if you've been around the rooms, you've certainly seen this kind of transition that just the society has made to where we coddle and baby newcomers. And I really think it's to their detriment. I don't think it's for the betterment of the program as a whole. You know, I needed to be told straight up with gut level honesty that all that shit going on in my head, it didn't matter. All that mattered was that I needed to stay sober. And how can I apply the spiritual principles to my life to do that? And so uh, there it was, you know, and, and there was plenty of that in Derek's story. I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I hope you did as well. And so that's it, guys. Um, have a great Thanksgiving. Have an awesome turkey day. Love your family. Give them a big hug. Make sure you eat some pecan pie or pumpkin pie or whatever else. And just, uh, yeah, have a good one. And we'll transition into the song of the day. I think I've played this one before, but this is Pat the Bunny. The song is called More About Alcoholism, and the title speaks for itself. Pat was one of those guys who used to tour the country getting loaded quite a bit. Uh, he was in the uh, Wingnut Dishwashers Union, eventually went and did his own solo thing. Um, I don't know if he did that when he got sober or if it just kind of started, but he talks a lot about getting sober, finding recovery, and uh, just has some great, great tunes to do it with. So without any further ado, here is Pat the Bunny.
Exit and not just a long 